Shireen, thanks for joining us on the on this video podcast. Uh, we want to dive right in with you, um, but we kind of want to start in the past a little bit and maybe get your background to where you are now uh, today at Perkins Coie. Um, I know you've been at the MBA in the past as well and numerous other law firms, but maybe you could just give us the backstory um, and then we'll get into some some other topics. Yeah, happy to. And thanks for having me. Um, I have a probably slightly less traditional pathway than most people in either law or sports. Um, I did start my career at a law firm, Morrison and Forster, in the 90s and was among uh, those first people trying to figure out how the internet worked from a legal perspective. And I wrote terms of service and did web development agreements and worked mostly with startups. And I think that's really ultimately what led me to sports was thinking about how premium content got distributed differently um, once there were new technologies available. Um, And so I spent a lot of time in the digital space before I got to sports, and that's really how I ended up at the NBA. And so I've had a series of in-house jobs since I left private practice in 2004, some on the business side, some on the legal side, some in sports and some not in sports. Um, But I did spend seven years at the NBA working on all of their domestic content distribution deals. So that would be everything from national TV deals like Turner and ESPN to their linear cable network, NBA TV, League Pass across screens. Um, When I first joined the league, it was only available as a browser-based product. So we launched mobile. We launched um, pretty much every other device that came online between about 2010 and 2015 when I left the league. We were even among the first, I think it was 10 preloaded apps on the first Apple TV, uh, which is super exciting. And and then I actually left sports for a bit to work um, on a startup of my own that wasn't in the sports space. And then through working with other early stage companies, made my way back into sports and joined Perkins last fall to co-chair their sports group, really with an eye to thinking about how tech and sports really are converging now and, and how you build a legal practice that supports those new business models. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I read, I think it was in your bio that, that you wrote um, that you were at the NBA when viewing habits were changing um, and the paradigm was shifting. I wanted to get, as a NBA League Pass viewer uh, for many, many years, um, I mean, I think I remember that, web, that web-based browser, <laughs> uh, browser app um, all the way back a decade ago. Yeah. But I, I wanted to get your opinion on, and um, how those and your experience as well on how those viewing habits have changed um, all the way up to, until now in 2023. Yeah, I mean, for me, sports has kind of always been a bellwether for emerging kind of entertainment um, consumption patterns, right? Because part of the reason I got into sports is it is the sort of at the apex of the premium content pyramid, right? It's the place where people are most likely to try something new because they know they have a rabid fan base. Um, And that's actually what excited me about sports. And, And really, I was so lucky to be at the league during that time when things were being taken outside of browsers and off of traditional television screens. And, you know, part of that is where are fans going? Um, you know, all of the leagues of any size are going to be interested in where their fans want to interact with content. So part of what we were doing was both thinking about new business models, you know, how obviously all leagues, all rights holders want to think about how they can monetize their content thoughtfully, but equally as important is where are the fans? Um We want to make sure we're reaching them and particularly younger fans, right? Um, None of the sports leagues will survive if they don't continue to attract newer and younger fan bases. And it was pretty clear, certainly in the late 2000s and today, 
that you have to be on a variety of screens and have different ways for people to interact with content. Um, you know, you'll hear how Gen Z fans aren't going to sit in front of a television and watch a traditional game of any sport, right? This isn't just a major league issue. It's, it's an everyone issue. Um, so thinking about how do fans actually want to consume content? Where are they? What screen? What's their appetite for length? Um, What's, you know, is it, how long, how long is it, I think is really important, right? And uh, before I joined Perkins, I was actually at a startup in the sports media space called Buzzer. And we were really focused on short form live mobile rights. Um, and you see how that ticks so many boxes, right? It's short form. It's mobile, but it's live, which, um, you know, the premise was so much of the short form content that's available to fans today, particularly on social and mobile platforms, isn't live. Like you've missed the moment. And one of the great things about sports, as we all know, is, is actually being in the moment. Just one quick one. I know Ian has a question, but just one quick one. The condensed game feature on NBA League Pass is one of the best that I've ever seen on a, uh, like on a tech platform for a, a sports league. Was that intentional of like with the viewing habits changing of like, oh, we need to get these 10 minute condensed games because I watch every single one, but I wouldn't necessarily watch a two and a half hour basketball game. Yeah, that's a really good question. The idea of a condensed game had actually been around at the league for a long time. Like that, a product called a condensed game existed uh, before I joined in 2008. But what I think um, you'll see is that the definition of the condensed game has changed over time. As I recall, the early ones were maybe like, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So um, to your point, I think continuing to evolve those products to really meet the viewing habits is something that obviously all rights holders are, are thoughtful about. And obviously I'm prejudiced, but I would argue that the NBA does a really good job of that. Yeah, sure. sure. And just a, a quick question from my side. So maybe fast forwarding now to sort of more more recent times uh, since since you've been at Perkins. I, I read the other day that you, you were you know, had quite a an important role in in the NFL um, rights negotiations, which which YouTube eventually secured late last year in November. So, you know, for this was I think for the t the Sunday ticket games, wasn't it? Do you, you know, with you know these these new sort of big tech companies like you know YouTube and Google, um, you know, taking more of an active role uh, in in securing rights? Do do you think they'll do you think that this trend will continue? And you know, just like Apple have, have you know secured last year as well the you know the MLS rights, and same with Amazon, and um, you know making a foray into into Premier League rights and so forth. Do, do you see do you see a, you know a greater? In fact, in fact, also here in in in, um, in in France where I'm based at the moment with League One, Amazon also have the rights across across the league. Do, do you see these big tech companies um, playing an even bigger role? in being rights, uh, rights owners in the future? I do. Uh, in some ways, I would say I bet my career on that. <laughs> I, you know, well, <laughs> what, yeah. what, what really my premise is now in terms of building out a tech practice at Perkins is, is to come at it from the perspective of the platforms and the technology itself. Um, because I think the future of sports is these different platforms. Um, you know, television isn't going away and there's still going to be plenty of people who want to sit on a, you know, on a couch in front of a television and watch a traditional broadcast. That's not going to go anywhere. But there's so many other people for whom that is not the optimal viewing experience. And clearly the technology platforms are the ones that can give you other kinds of viewing experiences, whether again, it's one because they're on different devices 
They offer different kinds of content. They offer interactive features, right? I think that's one of the beauties of a lot of the emerging tech platforms is how they can integrate other kinds of functionality, whether it's, you know, fantasy, obviously, um, in the US, it's still nascent, but you know the ability to bet on games, other kinds of chat functionality. I think you'll see, particularly in the next couple of years, all of the tech platforms doing a lot more around these integration of features that, again, are how people use like mobile devices today, right? Um, so how do you think about integrating the kinds of features that people want to use in non-sports arenas into sports arenas? But to make the sports experience richer, not just for the sake of bells and whistles. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just, I, mean, I guess, linked to that as well, you know, I think the, from, from what I've read as well, the, the, the rights that were paid by YouTube, I, I don't know the exact, the exact figures here, but it's sort of the, the, there were reports of it being almost double what, what direct TV had paid for the rights uh, for the last cycle. Do you think it's, do you think this sort of, uh, media rights sort of inflation or the, or the rise in value of rights do you think it's um do you think big tech are, are able to continue this this rise in, in in rights values largely because they can connect in many different ways and they can package the the content in um for delivery across you know many different platforms and sliced and diced for many different types of audiences which maybe traditional broadcasters in, in the past weren't able to do as effectively yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes, absolutely. I, I think you're going to find these, uh, what people often call non-traditional players, to be the ones that will continue to allow sports rights to, to increase in value. Um, you know, the, the traditional players are a little hamstrung right by um, the cable bundle itself. And, you know, we've seen it play out. Like for example, in the RSN market, where you often have local fans who don't have access to the the games of their local teams because certain distributors aren't carrying regional sports networks, right? So I think that's a good example of of how traditional systems um, aren't necessarily reaching fans in the same way. And if they're not reaching fans, it's harder for them to justify the rights fees they've paid in the past. And Obviously, the RSN model is the most challenged there, but I would argue that um, it's a little bit of a canary in the coal mine for some of the more traditional distribution models. And so I think to keep sports rights at the, these higher valuations, you need the new entrants in there and the ones, to your point, who can um, really exploit those rights in a much deeper, richer, and cross-platform way. Do you see... Do you see a bit of a consolidation here with the tech platforms? Because obviously the news of, of Bally Sports going bankrupt, I, as far as my understanding goes, they'll still be operating um, and things like that. But do you see a bit of a consolidation here potentially in the future? I do. I mean, look, all markets consolidate, right? And, and given the size of these rights, I, I think you're only going to have so many players to begin with, right? It's not as wide open um, as some other markets, maybe right for consolidation, like um, online betting and gaming, where I imagine there'll be more consolidation in the future. But the, the rights fees that are commanded, at least by the big leagues here, which arguably you need as an anchor tenant for any real sports product, um, I think that's always going to keep the pool relatively small of people who can play in the space. You know, how much consolidation there is beyond that, it's a little hard to say. I think one of the interesting issues that I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, has been the discovery piece. I mean, one of the downsides and from my years at the league, I'll take responsibility for being part of the issue is when you slice and dice all the rights so thinly and put them on so many different platforms, sometimes fans can't find content. So where I'd actually love to see consolidation, sort of like what MLS is doing with Apple, right? Like what's so beautiful about that is if you're an MLS fan, you know where to find your content, right? 
Um, and I think that's model a lot of us are paying attention to and to see how successful both the league and Apple view it ultimately and how successful the fans view it. Um, you know, certainly the the early press has been really positive, but that idea that it, you just make it easier for a fan to find content feels like an important piece if we want to think about consolidation. I have another question I'm supposed to ask, but I want to dig a little deeper um, on the, on what you were just talking about in terms of, I, I kind of want to get a better understanding of how exactly was Perkins and yourself involved with talking between the NFL and, and Google, um, if you can tell us. And then how much did betting play into this? Obviously, it's becoming legal in more and more states um, across the United States. I think it's 26 now. Um maybe more. Uh, but it, those two questions, I, I kind of wanted to d- dig a little deeper if you, the details you can. Yeah, tell I think, I think on the Sunday ticket piece, I'll have to punt on that. Um, but uh, uh, it's, uh, look, I, I think that's a transformative deal in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, on the betting and gaming piece, I can say, you know, more generally, I think both the betting and gaming platforms and the rights holders are still trying to find the sweet spot. Right. I, I think a lot of folks for a while were like, look, if we can just integrate betting into a live stream, everything will be solved. And I think we found that actually the business model still isn't there to support that. You've got a lot of churn on these betting platforms. You may people you have people coming on because of, you know, they put two hundred dollars in their wallet and then they bet the two hundred dollars, they lose it and they're not coming back. And so it doesn't matter how great the integration is of the betting functionality with the live stream if you don't actually have the folks who are interested in engaging in the behavior. So I, you know, I think everyone's paying close attention to it and certainly staking out future opportunities. Um, and everyone wants to be sure that they've got a piece of that pie and an opportunity to control maybe what that looks like from both um, a revenue generation and a product point of view. Uh, but I don't think anyone's quite like settled yet on the right sort of product integration and the right sort of fan slash better experience. And I think right now those two feel like different things, right? Fans versus betters. Um, and how do we integrate those in the products themselves? I think that's the piece that that across the ecosystem folks are still kind of monkeying with. Shifting gears a, a little bit, we wanted to ask you, because um, you have a long history of uh, working at innovative companies and the MBA and obviously in, in law, um, how the incubators uh, from these various leagues, the NFL, FIFA, um, NBA, MLS, they all seem to have incubators now for tech. Um, how is that evolving and how will that impact sport going forward? Look, I'm really glad it's happening. I think folks who've worked at the league for, you know, decades uh, have always known that they had the ability to really shape consumer behaviors by saying, yeah, we're going to put our content here versus here. Um, And, you know, back in my days at the league, we'd often have early stage companies in and pitch us about products where they wanted live rights. And it kind of always broke my heart a little bit that people would have built really great products and I didn't have rights to give them. And, um, and you know, neither would um, football or baseball or hockey. I mean, you know, back then MLS rights were a little more open and I would often say, hey, go, go talk to the MLS folks. They might have some rights that you could use. So I think one of the real benefits of having sports leagues 
as part of the incubation process. And it's actually something I talk about in my practice because Perkins does work with early stage companies is just helping them understand the rights landscape. Because the worst thing is to build, you know, some beautiful MVP and find that actually there's literally no content available for it. Um, So I think that's one of the important things that they can do that will help get better products to market faster. Um, and then I think the leagues are smart to realize that they do have kind of this sort of king-making ability, right? If if the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, they put their content on a certain platform, the likelihood that that platform is going to survive and thrive grows. And so they're making some bets and they're doing it thoughtfully. But, um, but by being one step closer to the founders and the innovators, um, I think the whole market benefits because you'll get better access to more thoughtful products, hopefully sooner. Great. I, I, I actually have a quick question. It's sort of related to, uh, I guess, a couple of topics we've already touched on. Well, I, I guess we've, we've been focusing, of course, based upon your background on, on the top tier levels of sports. Um, and uh, we've also obviously touched on, on, on how big tech are involved in those top tier levels of the sport. Um, one thing I'm interested in is, um, you know, here, here at Speedio, we, we, we use a lot of this big tech uh, technology, both in the form of, you know, cloud computing and AI-based technologies to to really lower the barriers of entry for sort of the lower tiers of, of multiple different sports to, to actually capture content that they haven't been able to afford in the past. Do you think that there's maybe a way that these... Um, the big tech companies, as well as being involved, of course, in in sort of the rights of the the big ticket um, uh, media rights out there. Do you think, you know, over time they may also have an interest in sort of, I guess, the long tail um, content of these sort of mid tier leagues? Let's let's call them those. Um, so, you know, maybe having like like YouTube having a you know direct to consumer platform. They you know they'll have. Um, They'll have NFL Sunday ticket on there, but they might also have, you know, lower levels of, you know, baseball or, um, or hockey or, or other sports to complement it. But, but it, rather than engaging with sort of more global audiences, they'd be engaging much more with much more local audiences where, you know, there is you know, often a, a quite a strong affiliation by fans to, to those uh, to, 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 to those local sports. Yeah, I think a lot of the tech platforms have sort of dipped their toes in those waters over the years. I mean, YouTube obviously has probably been the most consistent in just making the platform available. Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, I think they were out looking at some of those smaller properties and doing some smaller deals here and there to see about what sort of traction they might have on the platform. But I think the fact that they make the platform available, period, we know, helps a lot of fans get to see some very niche or local sports. Um, you know, Meta, when it was still Facebook, also kind of experimenting in some of those spaces to make live platforms available. Um, I do think that, you know, the production has been an issue in the past. And, you know, as you folks are sort of lowering that barrier to entry to have a nicely produced game available, I would imagine you'll see the platforms kind of re-engaging and there perhaps being more interest because I think part of the problem in those early days was frankly the level of production quality, right? So there's some things that if you're a diehard fan or uh, a family member of a player, like sure, you're going to watch because you have a really strong affinity and if the quality isn't that great, you know, that's okay. But if you want to reach even a slightly broader audience, I think the game has to look good, right? It has to be accessible to the fan visually. 
Yeah, because I, I guess as well, you know, if, if we use Google as, as a good example, of course, their their main business is is in advertising. So, I mean, if there, if there's an interest on their side in terms of you know helping these these leagues um, and, and sports to be able to connect to more local brands or, or even global brands, but 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 not just play a role in terms of the um, the you know the, the technology and the media rights, but but also you know taking a much more hands-on commercialization. Um, sort of partnership approach with these leagues to, to really help them create a business, um, a healthy business and a sustainable business. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, like anything, it's the cost benefit analysis and is, and is there the business model to support it? And if you can get enough eyeballs, then yeah, add supported works. Um, you know, I, I think that was probably Meta's plan as well for its kind of more local platform. Um, so I think those discussions are always going to be going on. Um, but it's making sure, I think there's that discovery piece. Again, I think there's the quality of production piece. And then if you can get those to sync, then it feels like the monetization opportunities can follow. Yeah. Good. Well, we're working on it. <laughs> we're, I know. Thank we're you. Working on it. We're, doing, we're doing a good job so far, but uh, it's, never a, it's never a finalized uh, effort. It's, uh... I, have a, I have a quick question. We won't take up too much more of your time, and we, we greatly appreciate you stopping by to give us all this great insight. But... Do you see a difference between, obviously, the NFL and the NBA? They're very international. But then, obviously, the the other big sport in the world, I, you could say, is football, soccer. Um, do you see a difference in how the American leagues, uh, whether it's men's or women's sports, um, kind of treat the rights compared to the system in Europe? Uh, I guess you could use it as an example, um, where we have top-tier uh, Premier League, but then also six divisions of professional underneath it, kind of like the Major League Baseball minor league system, but not all in one. Um, do you see a, a kind of a difference between the two and pros and cons maybe to, to either system? You know, I'm not sure that I can answer that. I, you know, I, I always come at it from the two perspectives that, that I think I've already alluded to. One is sort of from the rights holder and kind of the monetization piece, but then the second side of it is that fan engagement. So in that sense to me, if if the rights holders are making money and the fans have access to quality content that they want, I feel like they're both kind of delivering on the thing that they should be doing. Um, I don't work as much in the international rights space. So in terms of like the nuances of the deal terms and things, I don't know that they they're vastly different. Obviously, the federation structure is different from a, a U.S. league structure, and that affects some of the rights a bit. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, they're delivering quality content to fans. And then the question is just, are you getting it to as many fans as you can in the format that engages them the most? And I don't know who's doing it better. I think, you know, different leagues and different moments um, do things really, really well. And other times there's room for improvement. It's a very, very fair answer. Yeah. I know I put you on the spot a little bit, um, but is there anything else at Perkins that you guys have going on? Or I know you do nonprofit work with, I believe, the Council of Sanctuary. Um, is there anything else that, that you want to share with us? Uh, I mean, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, look, I think that the work we're trying to do at Perkins now is really approaching sports as well as other entertainment, film, television, gaming, music um, from that tech and platform based experience. Uh, you know, traditionally law firms, sports practices come out of antitrust or labor or just like IP and copyright. But if you actually sort of turn it around and say it's the delivery mechanism that matters, that it's the technology that gets the content to the fan, um, I think it opens up a whole new ways of thinking about the sports business, which is exciting to me. And 
uh, why I said sort of, Ian, you know, I'm kind of betting my career on this idea that, you know, these big tech platforms are going to continue to enforce in sp- uh, invest in sports. Um, so for me, it's just an exciting time because I do see that accelerating and I don't see anybody backing away from that. I mean, I I started my career during the first dot-com bubble and when it burst, um, you know, people were like, okay, what are you going to do now uh, that the internet's gone? And I was like, hmm. I'm pretty sure it's not gone. Like, I don't see these things um, going away, right? Technology isn't going away. And, and so I don't think sports is ever going to not be part of that. Um, and thank you for asking about Sanctuary for Families. It's a fantastic nonprofit here in New York that works with survivors of gender-based violence. Um, and they run a shelter. They do lobbying. They do criminal defense work, um, immigration work, do a lot of um, career counseling and education. Um, and they're just a fantastic organization and I try and work with them in as many different ways as possible. But most recently it's been in the career education piece, getting people ready for interviews after they go through a bunch of training and making sure they feel confident as they're entering the world and, um, you know, getting their sort of sea legs back. Amazing. Well, Ian, any, any last questions from you? You got muted because it sounded like someone came in the room and parked a prince where you're at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think secu- security are, are, are trying to kick me up before I, I think a PSG women's match is about to start behind me in the next hour. So, um, no, I, I, it's been great speaking to you, Sharon. And, um, you know, I hope, uh, I wish you all the best as well in your endeavors, both your professional and private endeavors. And yeah, it's um, been really good learning, you know, about your background and, and your views on, on, on the industry, which, you know, you might be betting your career on it, but I think uh, you're not alone there. I think we are as well, me and Todd. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be in the, in the sports 100%. media space. Agreed. And thanks so much for having me. This was really Yeah, thank enjoyable. you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Shereen. No, likewise. Yeah, thank you Take very care. much.